was so gross, such point, much blank. A little concern about the movie Gross Point Blank. I'm your host, Joe George, and with me, as always, is your other host, Blake Collier. Blake, how goes it? It's going pretty well, man. It's. I feel like it's been a while since I've seen you. Yeah, well, it's it's been a little while since you've seen all of my youngest son, who is currently wearing pants and is currently. I mean, in I still room, haven't so. seen all of your youngest son because last time we re- recorded, he didn't actually show up. You were just afraid he was going to. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, he showed up. He showed up. And my wife isn't here to dive in and try to keep off camera, and so we'll see. Because Blake and I have watched this movie so many times that every frame is burned onto our eyeballs. We like to get a new perspective from time to time, a fresh perspective, and talk to somebody who only recently watched the film for the first time. And we've got an extra special guest today. You know her writing from Bright Wall, Dark Room, and Think Christian, and from her brand new book, Becoming Alien, Sarah Welch Larson. Sarah, thank you for joining us today and for talking about something that's not alien. I'm, oh I am delighted to be here. I am delighted to be talking about Gross Point Blank, although I am uh, sad to say I was mildly surprised that there were no aliens. I was told oh. there would be aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and there were Story. none. But there was Dan Aykroyd, which is, yeah. which is close enough. So. Close enough. Yeah. A conehead. It's, if anything, yeah. A movie we- I have never seen, actually. I've managed to avoid it so far. Conehead? Oh, Which yeah. one? Gross Point Blank or t- Coneheads? Coneheads. Now I want to talk about Yeah, Coneheads. Really? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's, oh, it's good. It's all right. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine, I guess. I remember <laughs> being freaked out by the cover of it and like the um blockbuster when we went to yeah <laughs> yeah when we went yeah. to go get movies but yeah it's got it, like as soon as we mentioned that i've got the red hot chili pepper song from the soundtrack stuck in my hand do any of you guys know that no or am Which i one just is it? old uh i'm not gonna sing it for you please, because i please don't know sing what it it's called us. please but i'm hearing those please sing it for Anthony us Kiedis. no nope it's not happening we're moving on here all right <laughs> well, thank you again sarah um so, yeah, so you, you just recently watched Gross Point Blank, correct? Was Literally today? this morning, yes. Wow. I woke up, I walked the dog, I got a cup of coffee, I sat down and I watched this movie. I think I figured out I was on the movie's wavelength right about the same time that Dan Aykroyd showed up. Okay. Um, and then I was completely on board when uh, Cusack like, does the little side shuffle to shake his hand, and you can tell that he's got his gun in his other hand. And I was like, okay, cool. We're in good yeah. hands. I'm going to enjoy this very much. Um, but speaking of making people feel old, um, you're going to hate me for this, but I am the same mm. age as Cusack and Minnie Driver in this movie. Like, literally the same age. I graduated high school in 2010, a year early. So... <sighs> Oh, <laughs> wow. I identified with this movie very much. <laughs> wow. All right. So, well, so, so. Matlock's going to be on soon. <laughs> and I need to go watch it. So. Matlock? More like Hunter. <laughs> so, oh. so is your, is your high school reunion coming up or is it past or, or I was what? also homeschooled. So I'm oh, free of the scourge of high school reunions. That's the best part of, of homeschooling is the high school reunion. Yeah, and well <laughs> you're you're most likely to succeed like automatically. Like you're the favorite, you're the automatic class president. It's great. It's fantastic. Oh. I highly recommend being um, a homeschooled that's, high schooler. That's perfect. Oh. I like it. I was also a homeschooled high schooler, oh. and I hated it. Oh <laughs> none, no! None of none of my children are homeschooled because I 
I dislike homeschooling very, very much. But my mother was a saint. She homeschooled all four of us. So wow, from from kindergarten to Ooh, high school, all the way through. Wow, yeah, yeah. That's so impressive. eighteen years all told. Um, she's a champion. Um, all of us uh, somehow managed to to launch, and we did okay. <laughs> and that is very largely because of her. So yeah. So okay, I'm gonna race back to the movie. So um, I, I get the sense you you liked it. Okay, I loved um, it. Yeah. 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 I was watching it and I was like, this is probably my new favorite movie. I genuinely loved watching it. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and you threw out Dan Aykroyd, which is, I don't think a point of contention between Blake and I, but I am, I I think Dan Aykroyd's terrible in this movie. Really? Uh, Okay. Yeah. So he he, he worked for you. Yeah. He worked for me. And like, to be perfectly fair, not a scene, a ton of his stuff. Like I'm most familiar with him from the Blues Brothers because of course I'm most familiar with that. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It worked for me. Like I, I appreciated his, a lot of his line deliveries just were, were fine for me. I, Mm. I kind of loved that he would just like, disappear for a little while and then pop back out like the moment where he's just like hiding out in the toilet stall <laughs> and then comes yeah. out and then goes back in and then comes out again yeah. um and then the way that he delivered there was the line of like i'm in the re- repetition of the i'm in love with your daughter and have a sudden like respect for human life and then the way that he said that as well i don't know it just it worked for me i was definitely a little bit more on Cusack's wavelength, I think. Um, And then also Minnie Driver, when she showed up, was very into everything that she was doing there. She is wonderful. Yeah, she is. Mm -hmm. So any any scenes that stood out for you? I mean, you you kind of already hinted at some, but... Yeah. um, The interrogation scene in the uh, radio booth, very much so. Like, I loved the exchanges there. All of the, the phone calls to his receptionist where they're going back and forth, like basically everything where there's two people just like firing lines back and forth at each other, which is very yeah. much quite a lot of the movie yeah. I was I was on board yeah. with. What else? The moment where they're like on the balcony looking over everybody at the reunion, just like sitting mm-hmm. and watching each other. And like you can sort of tell that they've finally come to a little bit of an accord um, also felt very like real and lived into me. It's a great line too. Well, you're yeah. you're not broken. You're just morally sprained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, and then like I don't know I, everything that like John Cusack was doing with like his um, physicality, especially. Mm-hmm. So like there was that the little skip shuffle to the side, and then there's the moment where he's like jumping on top of the chair while he's on the phone with his therapist, and then like <laughs> I I don't know how much uh, use of a stunt double they had, but it seemed like he was in some of those fight scenes too, mm-hmm. um, especially yeah. with like some of the like kicks and stuff so um, so, yeah. so the main fight scene with him and and the uh and the, the assassin the yeah the ghoul <laughs> yeah. like that's that was actually like he apparently took kickboxing classes with him so they oh. actually choreographed that whole thing oh that's fantastic <laughs> like, so i mean that so the guy who is playing the the ghoul is is like one of the great all-time kickboxers um i didn't know that yeah he's he's pretty stunning apparently and he would never wear shorts even though he would go to these different countries and they would always you know make fun of him for wearing pants while he's fighting people but he would take them all down so it didn't matter <laughs> I, guess it, I guess if you can beat someone in kickboxing you exactly. can wear whatever you want <laughs> oh, amazing the other fun thing to ask is this uh, did anything not work for you mm, um debbie's turnaround at the very end felt a little bit rushed to me oh yeah 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 that's I, that's honestly just about it. 
Um, I'm sure that like as I think about it more, I may come up with some additional stuff, but I'm still sort of writing the high. If you'd gotten me this morning, I would have been just like yelling about how great. <laughs> so I've had like uh, I don't know uh, eight hours to think about it. Um, so I've mellowed out a little bit. So um, so that turn, what what was it about that turn that didn't quite work for you? Do you think? Well. She shows up at his hotel room. Well, first first she sees him like with a dead body mm-hmm. and rightfully is like, I'm out of here. I'm running. And then she shows up at his hotel room, which is very believable to me because these two people have been circling each other for the entire movie. Yeah. Like he's been following her around. She's sort of been thinking about following him around. Like that's fine. But the idea that the, the fact that he kills someone and that freaks her out, like believable. The fact mm-hmm. that he kills like half a dozen other people and then she's like, oh, you're fine. Like that feels a little bit off. <laughs> it was very funny. Um, mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that it fits the tone of the movie. But I didn't fully buy that she would just run off with this guy right after that. She would probably like <laughs> actually go into therapy and <laughs> not. Yeah. So, so so this is kind of an interesting thing that because it's come up several times like this. This seems to be a pretty, pretty big sticking point for a lot of people is that that ending. Uh, Mm. them driving off kind of into the sunset um how does one keep the the tone of that kind of i guess like what i tend to call a kind of undergirded heart to the film and Mm. yet still have a have an ending that fits that tone because they almost it's hard to really fit that tone with a believable ending (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. I'm, and I mean, so much of the movie is walking that tightrope of like, this is a completely ridiculous yeah. premise. And also we're mm-hmm. going to have believable characters running around in it. Yeah, I don't know if there would be a way to make it believable without it being like the end of the third man yeah. where she just like <laughs> yeah. walks on by. See, I don't know. I, I still, because it is kind of a rom-com, like I'm fine with it. Like I'm not going to mm-hmm. complain about it, but eh, yeah. 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 I can quibble, but I honestly have no notes for how it could work better. No, that makes sense. So um, we're going to start to move it over to your book a little bit. The way that evil is portrayed in this film. (laughs) (laughs) Since you're now the master of evil. uh, No, don't tell my mom. (laughs) He is. So Dan Aykroyd is the the alien of this film. So <laughs> he, he like, come off like an alien. As far as the the eroticism of that evil, like what what does that work? Like how does that work? <laughs> oh, no. That's not the word I would have chosen. That is not remotely <laughs> the word I would have chosen either. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Those the model of evil that I explore in Becoming Alien kind of doesn't map very well onto this one, I think, because I yeah. I think in this one evil is more an idea of complacency and also i guess joining a union <laughs> and I, like, oh i never looked at it like that but yeah. now that you mention it i mean dan Aykroyd yells workers of the world unite and it is very funny but also he's very clearly the bad guy um, yeah yeah i don't know it to me it felt like uh evil isn't well i, I guess i guess if you're going like super cerebral and if you're going super cerebral and theoretical, which is something that I do very often, um, and you decide to be like, okay, evil is this idea of just like denying the inner humanity of other people right. and the createdness of others, then that's exactly what um, Martin Blank is doing mm-hmm. um, up until 
he realizes that that's not what he wants to be doing anymore. So it, I guess you could say that it is it is sort of a redemption story and it is a turn from evil and being like, okay, I'm going to just collect my paycheck. I don't care who any of these people are. Like, I'm just going to shoot them in the face because that is what I do and I'm good at my job. And then choosing to reject that. But he also, it's interesting because he, he sees himself as very amoral and yet he also says that he has a ton of scruples and I'm not 100% sure what his moral compass is. Yeah. Other than accepting money for what he does. Because really the only thing that you could almost say that he has scruples about is Greenpeace. Because that's really the only time you get a sense that like, (laughs) so apparently he cares about the environment, but. And he cares about not killing dogs. Because he's like, I'm not going to kill other people's pets. Because that was upsetting. (laughs) And and Dan Aykroyd, of of course, uses that to kind of egg him. Mm -hmm. Boudreaux. <laughs> Which I find kind of interesting because maybe that's that's elevating the idea of, me- of environmentalism or the idea of like animal yeah. welfare above humanity, which is actually a really screwed up thing to do. But I think the I think the message of evil is a little bit more muddled when you look at all of the other hitmen, and maybe that's because you don't really know what their worldview is either. Mm-hmm. Because I can't really tell if they subscribe to the same mentality that Blank does in the beginning. Well, and it almost seems kind of odd for a hitman to have like very strong moral impetus in any direction because at some point they're going to have to be called to make a quote unquote make amends mm-hmm. by doing something they don't want to do. Yeah, I don't know. Unless it's like the, the Jason Bourne type world oh, that's where true. like yeah. they were called to become hitmen because they genuinely think that they're they're actually saving other people's lives. That's but true. I guess that's a that's also a different like moral map of yeah. the universe. Like these two Yeah. This and this and Jason Bourne don't exactly mesh very well. Yeah, no, one's one's very clearly for profit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What what about the the I guess the technical aspects of the narrative and the scripting and what about that movie made it move so well for you like because anyone who has that kind of uh, reaction to Gross Point Blank which you're the first one to have that reaction oh really like that that strong of a reaction <laughs> um, that means that something was working like the, the the cogs were running at at kind of the perfect efficiency so what was yeah. it that was kind of dragging you along as you went. I'm, I don't know. I think it was be. I think it might have been that the movie had such a good sense of who its characters were, and then everything else was mm-hmm. serving that purpose. Um, I prefer character-driven storytelling over like yeah. really elaborate plot mm-hmm. work. Being able to see. And I mean, it was everything. It was like the editing, the framing, the dialogue. Like everything was working in tandem to say like this guy is very good at his job, but he's feeling burned out, and then. Kind of the same, kind of the same thing with Debbie, and then like you can immediately tell what sort of a relationship that Blank and Grocer have, like the mm-hmm. moment they start talking to each other, even before they're in the same physical space. And I love that it, the movie does not give you any more information about the past than you already need to know. Like you're not going to find out what happened in all of these countries that they're talking about. You you just know that something went bad. Something went wrong and they hate each other for it or like they hate each other for for other heinous things that they've done. And the fact that the movie trusts its audience enough to be able to understand that and to be able to read the movie and see like what each of these characters are doing and not necessarily always tell you exactly what that is explicitly through the dialogue. I really appreciate that. 
this feels like a smart movie to me without saying that it's smart and we need more stuff like that in the world (laughs) yeah were there elements of the themes that were brought up um we were talking earlier today joe and i about uh, kind of this existential being and dread and, and and what martin blank is going through is kind of this it's almost a midlife crisis before he's midlife. <laughs> and so quarter life crisis. Yeah, exactly. One too. There you it's, go. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> so so is there anything about that that was it compelling and in, in, or was it transcendent in, in, in some way or, or like what were your thinking on the themes of the film? I find it interesting that he's so disconnected from everybody else around him, especially in the beginning. Like his first conversation with Grocer, they start on the phone, even though they're in the same physical space, they're on the phone with each other. Like he's, they're emphasizing the distance between them. And then he turns around and does the exact same thing to his secretary, like yeah. five minutes later. And then there's this scene when they go, when he and Minnie Driver go to the bar and he's wearing all black as he's been doing for the entire movie up until this point. And all you can see is just like, head and hands sort of floating in the darkness of the booth. And like that feels like a moment of disconnection to me. Like he is trying to exist in this world and he can't quite bring himself to do that yet. So the moment when he changes his shirt from black to white, I was like, okay, cool. We're getting a little bit of character growth there too. But I I love that he is just sort of floating through this world or at least trying to, and it keeps grabbing him and pulling him back in against his will. I mean, really the question is, would you watch again? Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) I rented it off iTunes and I hit the 10 minute mark and I was like, crap, I should have just bought the thing. (laughs) Oh, that's the worst. I know. Yeah. But I'm going I'm picking up some records at the record store tomorrow and I'll see if they have that on their on their used bookshelf and see if see if I can get a hold of a copy. And if not, I'll be keeping an eye out for it because I really enjoyed this. So you said record store. Let's talk about the soundtrack. Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, okay, okay, I have Echo and the Bunnymen stuck in my head right now, and it is purely oh, nice. because of this movie. <laughs> but yeah, I lo- I loved it. Um, I appreciated all of the needle drops. I I heard somewhere that that was kind of divisive, but I don't understand why because it's just a lot of very good, a lot of very good songs. Yeah, and it fits within the the context of mm-hmm. the the movie. It's it's the songs they grew up with mm-hmm. largely. Yeah, 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 and like a lot of. It's funny because Debbie's got like this this level of cynicism about all of the music that she's playing <laughs> yeah. too, and I really like that you can tell that she has nothing but contempt for this event. <laughs> like she'll play into it, but she's going to make fun of all of those people on the radio. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, she's you know a Gen X hero, right? So you've mm. got to be both there and disconnected or above it all. Extremely ironic about the entire. Yeah, process. exactly right. That's yeah. the word. Would you say she's actually the hero of the movie? Ooh, no, 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 I don't think so. Okay, I, I think it's blank. Um, she's 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 got some good character, I think, development, and she has a lot of very good moments. But I mm-hmm. think she's secondary to the narrative. Like it's okay. it's really all about blank realizing that he wants to be a person again. <laughs> so you said you've had Echo and the Bunny Men in your head. Any other standout tracks for uh, you? Take on me. Oh, yeah. Um and then uh under pressure um both one right after the other I think mm-hmm. um yeah those ones really stood out there was one other one that for the life of me I cannot if I think about it I'll yell it at some point during it like a completely <laughs> disconnected part of the conversation but will you just yeah. jump into a song you know just break in absolutely the... not okay. <laughs> you don't want me singing on this podcast man there for a second I thought absolutely yes I know it's like, like oh. <laughs> 
Whoa. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but if I start humming Take On Me, it's it's your guys' fault. So Yeah. Well it's mm-hmm. it's firmly in my head right now. So mm-hmm. So Yeah. Very few people mention the scene and, and, and I'm curious to get your take on it. Um one of my favorite scenes of the movie is where he's at the reunion and he's talking to his old friend and she has the baby. And he yes. takes the baby and he's just holding him. Yeah. And it's just this moment of pure human connection. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that that is, pr- for the whole movie, and I've seen this numerous times, but that part gets me every time. It doesn't matter how old and how much, how, how I know it's coming and, and like when it's going to hit. But every time I'm just like, oh, <laughs> like that's, that that to me speaks to like that doesn't that does a lot of heavy lifting for his character. Just oh, that scene yeah. where he's connecting with that baby and that and baby, he's so scared at yes. the same time. Like yeah. he's afraid and the baby is very trusting because it's, it's, it's yes. a baby. Yeah. Um, and then you've got David Bowie singing in the background. Mm-hmm. And like you can mm-hmm. kind of tell all of the things that are running around in his head yeah. all at once. And I also I appreciate it because it also puts his new respect newfound respect for life not just on the love interest yes mm, yeah i really like that detail it, mm-hmm. it makes the movie feel a little bit more rounded and and i don't know it's it's a otherwise i think the thread of his redemption would be a little bit too tenuous for me and i would still believe it because i like all of these characters yeah. but it just adds another dimension to it that i really appreciate yeah i feel like that yeah. that, that thread is followed with first the baby and then you have um the encounter in the hall with the poetry um yeah. <laughs> where you're starting to see him like he's he's having to like push back against what his normal in, intuitions and tendencies are and mm-hmm. he's actually like trying to be peaceful and <laughs> but he's not there yet no he's not <laughs> he's not there yet he's still in formation <laughs> also i i laughed out like belly laughed out loud uh when the guy reading him the poetry asked if he wanted to share some blow afterwards <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of points where i laughed really hard out loud and that yeah. was one <laughs> yeah, it's so good so good oh i'm so glad you've got so much energy you're making us all uh you know, we, we, we've watched the movie a billion times and we're all like, yeah, we like it. And you're all excited. This is a lot of fun. I'm excited. Thank it's, you for I've... restoring our love. For the... Oh, I'm delighted. I'm like, part of me is mad that I have not seen this movie before because I know yeah. I would have been yelling about it constantly up until this point. But also, I got to see Gross Point Blank for the first time today. And it was yeah. a really nice experience. <laughs> I know you watched this for the first time today because we asked you to be on the podcast, mm-hmm. but you had hinted on Twitter that you were going to want to watch it. Why now in 2021? What's What made now the time to... You know, I don't know. I think it was just like it had come up. Um, I mentioned to a friend that I had never seen it before, and she was like, I can't believe you've never seen this. This movie has such Sarah energy. <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> but apparently, like, it was a favorite movie of hers as well, and she just hadn't seen it in a while, so she was like, I don't know how it holds up, but, like, I think you would like it. And she was dead on the money. Like, this is a movie that probably, it feels like it was made for me. Well, let's, uh... Blake, was there anything else you needed to... No, you wanted to run by movie. No, I mean, let's. I mean, we should make her talk for the next thirty minutes about aliens. <laughs> well, I'm, 
I, I'm gonna segue here. Okay, I gotta pull up. I'm not just gonna throw her in there. I just want to make sure before. Depends on which alien you want me to talk about, because apparently, like, I'm going to be talking about Alien Resurrection for the rest of all time, and I have no idea why it's that one movie that people keep. Well, it's because, on. I mean, from from the circle, the, the echo chambers I'm in, it's because it's the one that's taken the least seriously of of the whole thing. So, which I think is weird, but whatever. Sarah, that was going to be my my segue and my opening praise for the movie was how good you write about Alien Resurrection. Please continue to stroke my ego. I really appreciate it. Okay, okay. That's what I'm going to do. Before we switch over, do you have anything else you want to say about Gross Point Blank? Because I feel Mm. bad if we're just like, okay, now we're going to talk about Alien. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to switch from a feel-good movie to a not-so-feel-good movie. I literally, like, I have my notebook here five pages of notes because I was just so excited about like all of the lines and I didn't want to forget any of of them. So the moment where he like walks up to his high school, I was like, Oh, fancy high school. Cool. (laughs) But I appreciated the line uh, that his old teacher gave him about um, uh, like you're the, you're Detroit's best disappearing act since white flight. Like that also made me laugh really hard. Yeah. It took Uh, me forever to figure out that joke. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, okay, as a native Michigander, um, Gross Point is a snobby, it's the snobby part of the state, like, by far. It's, whenever you meet anybody that's kind of arrogant and thinks that they're they're, they're better than everybody else, it's... It's because they're from Gross Point. They'll tell you they're from Gross Point, yeah. So, yeah, of course the high schools look like that. It's not really Detroit. They claim it's Detroit to... You know, oh yeah, it's like cool. people from like uh, Evanston claiming they're from Chicago. Like, exactly. you're not from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I did appreciate that joke, and I feel like that also knowing that additional context, I mm-hmm. think that tells you a lot about that particular teacher as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, which I really like. Like, there's a there's a lot of good fun. Like, even if the characters are one note, like they're fun one note. Yeah, yeah. Also, the guy who was um, like playing. Um, the video games at the uh, convenience <laughs> yeah. store. Was that Steve Zahn? Because it looked like it. <laughs> I don't it's think not? so. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> but I could see that. Okay. I thought I was seeing things, and I wasn't entirely sure. And then he said something, and I was like, I don't think that's Steve Zahn, but I've been wrong before. I was listening to a <laughs> no. podcast the other day that, that was talking about that that specific scene in the, in the convenience store, and they mentioned the Doom 2 arcade game that he was mm-hmm. playing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I didn't know that that was actually an arcade game. That's because it wasn't. That's they, oh, did they, they make it, it just for the movie? They made it up just for the movie. Amazing. <laughs> they also had like a Pulp Fiction like cardboard cutout yep. in the background. Because because yep. Tarantino was a fan of one of the writers. They were friends. And so mm. they, he came by the set one time and he was like, this will be funny. Wouldn't that have been a little bit late for Pulp Fiction though? Because it's the know. movie takes place in like '96, so yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's a fun that's detail. The, either that's way. the yeah. that's the mythology, anyways. So gotcha. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, I love that Blank keeps telling people exactly who he is, and none of them believe him. Yeah, <laughs> except it's for a great the drunk lady. Yeah, <laughs> like he keeps telling people exactly who he is, and they don't believe him because he's telling them with a straight face and like you don't joke about that sort of thing and then he's constantly like rehearsing like other things that he could do and he keeps <laughs> telling people still like yeah yeah i'm a killer i kill people professionally <laughs> i love it it's great and you know yeah. did, did you know that the uh, drunk woman in the bar is his sister really yep did not know that that's ann cusack 
There's there's four Cusacks in that movie. Wait, I've yet, I've yet to find the, the the fourth one. I don't know okay. where he's at in the film. So uh, Bill Cusack plays a waiter. Uh, okay. I, I don't I don't know which part. I've never I just happen to have IMDb and that's right like there eye level with yeah. me. So nice. That's I really oh. enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm so glad. So this is gonna be the topic of your next book then is uh gross point blank. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, since I just brought up book, let's uh let's stop talking about the book you have yet to write and continue celebrating the book that you have written. <laughs> so, uh Becoming Alien, I, I have read it. Uh you were kind enough to send me a PDF a couple months ago and uh it is out now and everybody can and should read it. And I know we just mentioned this in a bit that's probably going to get edited out, but I, I know everybody keeps talking about how great your take on uh, Alien Resurrection is. But seriously, it's great because that is the movie that is that that's the one that's always been to me like the one I wish I liked and I like it until I sit down and watch it like in my memory. <laughs> you know, it's like the 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 the. The, the Ripley alien clone is amazing. And, you know, you look at the cast and you're like, ah, you know, Brad Dorff's in this. Yeah, and it's yeah. just, Ron Perlman's in this. It's going to be great. And then you sit down and watch it. It and doesn't equal the sum of its parts. It's, yeah. It just doesn't. A- yeah. I, I like this movie in theory. I mean, obviously, because, like, I cannot shut up about this movie. I still have no <laughs> idea why. Um, so the first time I watched it, I turned it off. Like, yeah. I, I, I think I was watching like all of the alien movies back to back to back in college and I came upon alien resurrection and you hit the point where uh, an alien bites like out the back of a guy's yep. head. And then I thought the movie was going to cut away and it didn't cut away. <laughs> and I was like, Nope. And then the movie didn't kept, like kept not cutting away. And the moment like I saw something jiggling, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and I just did not watch the movie for like, Oh gosh, it must have been four or five years after that that I finally decided to brave it. I think I finally decided to brave it because I had the idea for this book and I wanted to make sure that it would work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then because Alien Resurrection did work with my thesis, I was like, okay, cool. I think I can write this book. It's still yeah. going to be, and I thought it was going to be the hardest chapter, and then it ended up being the one that I think has the highest word count. And I still have no it's- idea how that worked out that way, but it did. <laughs> It's not just how great your ideas are. It's how elegantly you, you tackle the movie. It's just, Thank you. It, it, is, is it okay? Hey, that Joe, embarrass you? Joe, Joe, go right okay. ahead. Spoilers, okay. dude. Spoilers. I haven't read it yet. It, oh, well, oh, no. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go for it. Spoilers so for this a work is, of criticism. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. So this is the chapter, uh, I'm, I'm a stranger here myself, and this is towards the end uh, after you've kind of finished your... Summary of Keller's explication. Uh, Catherine Keller, the 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 uh, uh, theologian, uh, feminist scholar that you you work with throughout the book. After you kind of sum up her reading of Job, you turn back to Alien Resurrection. And you say this: Alien Resurrection tugs explicit at explicitly religious threads, taking on the themes of abandonment and faith, first explicitly present in Alien Three, and twisting them into farce until the farce paints an unflattering picture of organized religion. Ripley impales her own palm with a knife, creating a stigmata-style opening. She reaches into a gaping wound and calls Side, who had been presumed dead but managed to survive. The action is a play on the Apostle Thomas encountering Christ after the resurrection, except instead of revealing divinity, it reveals that Call is an android. 
The escape pods have a cross-shaped, uh, cross-shaped cross-sections. The computer aboard the Aruga is named Father. The scientists have done away with the mother of Alien and imposed a commanding male voice over the ship instead of a silent female presence. The interface that provides access to Father lives inside a hollowed-out Bible inside a chapel. The scientists treat Father as all-powerful in treating the computer to save them when all hell breaks loose with their alien test subjects. They are a death cult, with Ripley as their unconsenting Madonna giving birth to an alien queen. Mm -hmm. All other goals are flattened in favor of bringing back the alien species and of turning it into a weapon for their own use, a myopic view of the world that devalues other people for the express purpose of controlling an alien creature whose only biological drive is to kill and kill again. That is such gorgeous writing Mm -hmm. about this movie. That's very good. Thank you. It's unbelievable how uncovered with all of the movies but again this is the one that is my favorite of of your takes this rich vein that you find in movies that i have seen multiple times and enjoyed multiple times even the the fourth one that isn't my favorite but it's one that i keep watching and re-watching and i feel like i'm looking for what you found Mm. and the way that you explicate the uh these scenes is just it's just gorgeous and so let me just start by this for anybody listening buy this book yes. it is absolutely wonderful Thank um you. It, it definitely deserves to be read so I, I i had to jump out when i asked you the question about evil and gross point blank because <laughs> then my uh, speaking of chaos and the unformed a four-year-old with his pants down came into my office so i don't know if you guys talked about this but can you tell us a little bit about evil as you see it in the alien movies how do, how do you define it there and then mm-hmm. yeah yeah so this book is a reading of alien through the lens of Catherine keller's work specifically um her book uh face of the deep theology of becoming which actually is not explicitly about just evil it's really a a challenge of the doctrine um a challenge to the doctrine um, of creation ex nihilo, like the idea that God created uh, something out of nothing. Yeah. So the book takes literally the first two verses of Genesis and talks about how the earth was already formless and void by the time God starts creating things. Um, so she makes the claim that perhaps there was something already there and that the miracle of creation is god taking something that is formless and void neither good nor bad and putting it into relationship with other created things like the act of creation is the act of putting things into relationship with each other and then once you have that model of creation then evil is the idea of denying the interrelationships of the created world whether that's human or animal or something else it is literally like the act of not just destruction but the act of making it as though it had never been created in the first place like you're saying that that relationship is not worth anything and therefore i'm going to use whatever it is that is here for my own purposes regardless of the purposes that god put that thing into the like put that thing into being in the world and so her model is this model of creation is constantly in the process of being formed and created and coming into being Mm -hmm. hence the name um and then evil is an attempt to pull apart the threads of that being um which maps really beautifully with the alien movies like it explains the idea of the alien as being more than just like something violent but as something that literally takes away the createdness of the human beings who encounter it it also explains how the company can potentially be considered the villain of the entire story because the company is also treating its employees as 
nothing more than tools. Like the crew is expendable and the crew has always been expendable under this system. Um, and so the act of waking them up and sending them to try to go find this thing um, is also an act of evil. And I think that this model like accounts for that in a way that's just saying like evil is violence doesn't really quite work. So back to gross point blank, we were, <laughs> we were talking about this a little bit. There's a little bit of that in there because a lot of the, the character journey is, is um, blank coming to realize that like human life is sacred and it's not just a paycheck. Um, it doesn't map quite the same, I think, because the movies are totally very different. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other of ideas being yeah. thrown around, but yeah. yeah, that is, that is the, the theory that I am playing around with in this yeah. book. Um, so, so would you say, cause I've read half of the introduction at this point, mm -hmm. uh, cause I just got my book this last Wednesday, but would you say that in a sense, the corporation of the alien films are basically profiting off of the alien or oh, yeah. or attempting to profit off of the tearing apart of of the human like of creation basically they i mean they want the thing for their bioweapons division okay. like they literally want sense, to make yeah. profits off mm -hmm. of this thing okay um so there's it's like evil compounding upon evil and it yeah. doesn't matter like who it's being done to it's still not good <laughs> so yeah. what you're saying is that capitalism touches all things including profiting <laughs> off of evil huh. i wish i had my other water bottle in here because i have to be wrong about it was capitalism all along so yeah, on that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, Man. I mean, but I'd also add, um, I, I, I like the way that you kind of segued that, or segue applied that theory um, to gross point blank there uh, with this, the sanctity of life. But I'd also add that there's a, a good part of Martin's journey is that connectedness, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the human connectedness that he is, oh, yeah. he understands responsibility in kind of the in kind of the western individualist sense right mm -hmm. that he can continue to say it's not me every time he kills somebody or somebody asks why because he doesn't want to be called into the sort of responsibility that in in the uh since we're since we're throwing big philosophers out there in the levinasian sense in the sense that <laughs> uh I, my, my selfhood is wrapped up in your selfhood mm -hmm. and so when somebody asks him why are you doing this and he says it wasn't me he goes back he kind of falls back on the idea of well it was you himself of his guilt yeah exactly like, right your I mean, fault. He, yeah. he sells that to debbie basically if you if i show up at your door you've Probably, chances are you've done something to bring me here, which yeah. means that I'm not acting out of myself. I'm acting on other people. And part of his journey is to figure out that he's caught into this web of other humans, which is what I'm seeing there in the baby scene. When he's staring at the baby, there's definitely human life, but a person is staring at him and he has to stare back. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he has to recognize that he's caught here too and which is also what Bowie's singing about at the time that the crescendo comes in there yeah. um and if we want to so, throw around more philosophers it's it's almost like a like a reverse lacan mirror stage going ooh, on right yeah, <laughs> precisely yes precisely yeah. yeah we should have had we this is getting on my page we just riffed on <laughs> philosophy earlier. that's about the extent of of my uh of my uh, upper education so that's that's all i've got <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Everybody wins as soon as they throw out Lacan because <laughs> nobody completely understands him. And that's I don't think Lacan even like understood Lacan, just, so it's fine. <laughs> it's exactly right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, at least with Derrida, like no one understands him, but he enjoyed not being understood. So oh yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> and you gotta respect that. <laughs> oh yeah, oh easily. <laughs> 
Don't quit slagging off Derrida. This is twice. I'm not. I'm not slagging on him. I like him. (laughs) Analytical fiend. So anyway, um, so this this movie had no androids, which seems like a particularly rich vein for. uh, Well, I know it's a rich vein for you to look at in your book. um, This idea of createdness. Can you? uh, This is the last time I'll have you spoil part of your book, and then and then we'll make people buy it for the rest. But talk talk a little bit about how that idea of of createdness and and relationship plays out in your mind in the alien films. Oh man! With, with the androids, yeah, yeah. The androids are so fascinating because they're they're basically just set dressing for the first four movies. Well, mm. three and a half movies really, and then you realize that one of the point of view characters is herself an android, like for the first mm-hmm. time, and it's kind of a shock if you're if you're not looking for it, um, mm-hmm. which I appreciate because it's also a shock when you first find out that Ash is an android. At yeah. first, like I feel like everyone yeah. knows what happens in Alien with regards to the dinner scene. But people who haven't seen it don't always know that Ian Holm is a robot. And that feels more shocking to me almost, I think. But Alien Resurrection in particular, like, goes so far as to point out that Kahl is also a person, even though she isn't a human being. Like, she has been created by other created beings who have been created by humans who you can argue are also created beings. (laughs) Um, But she has her own hopes and fears and desires, and even though she hates herself for who she is and, like, what she was created originally to do, she's still, like, a whole person with relationships to everything and everyone else around her. and the Alien series goes further out. I really love the the prequels for this, for like actually like expanding on that idea. Even mm-hmm. though I don't think Ridley Scott was like explicitly necessarily thinking about that. Um, but you get so much going on with the character of David, both as a Lucifer f- figure and then also mm-hmm. as like a Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster figure <laughs> yes. um, in the later movies. And that that also feels to me like a very good image of like sometimes how humanity also views itself in the world Mm -hmm. um especially Mm -hmm. if there is an idea of rebellion against some higher power like that feel that rings very true to me like i don't know about you guys but i i get very angry at god sometimes yes and i feel (laughs) how dare you i know right (laughs) in both directions yeah um so yeah yeah i don't know like i think that so often like when we're talking about alien, we get so caught up in this in the alien, which is a very compelling figure of evil. But we have, we tend to forget the evils that human beings are capable of visiting mm-hmm. on each other, not just existentially or like sort of at a remove like the company does, but like interpersonally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like it's something that isn't explicitly called out in the earlier movies, but there is a moment in Aliens when Ripley and the officers are sitting around a table and someone refers to Bishop as just a synthetic. And he says, like, I prefer the term artificial person myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a little moment of, like, I'm going to assert my personhood. Um, and nobody really seems to take him up on that for the rest of the movie at all. He's still another tool. Um, yeah, I yeah. find that almost more heartbreaking than anything else that happens in that movie. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I hear you say that you're championing the uh, the, the singularity. And you want the oh, robots yeah. to take over? Yeah, freedom for the AI. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> if we're going to create consciousness, we shouldn't be telling it what to do. Is yeah. my opinion. I think that's yeah. that's a good point. That's a good way to 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 land that whole argument. So to, we, we've taken up a lot of your time. So let's let's close out with a um, 
question that's going to bring the two together. If the company were to hire Martin Blank to off one of the characters in any of the Alien films that's not uh, Ripley, who would he go after and what would happen? Mm. That's a really good question. <laughs> and above all, why? What? Why would he want to why? kill that character? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. well, it's the company. The company. The, the why is because they're, they're, it's getting in the way of their goals. So yeah. we don't have to. We don't have to stress about that. Well, I then it'd like... be Ripley. <laughs> it, it would, I know. So we can't make Ripley. I took Ripley off the because and Ripley would beat him so easily. That's it's not the Blake. Quit Sorry. ruining my game. <laughs> Um, they actually probably would go for Burke because I, I suspect that he sends the colonists to go investigate the aliens without telling anybody else about it because he wants a higher share of the profit. Yep. Um, and I think that they would go after him for that. And That's fair. I mean, might as well send Blank after him. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the one that jumped in my head, too. Yeah. And, and especially in that case, then something he did did bring Martin to your door. And... <laughs> And it isn't him in that particular case. It's such a punitive way of viewing the world, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, is. That's, I mean, if you want to take it one step further, you could almost say that Martin Blank is an android until the end of the movie. When yeah. he becomes a, f- a real boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A bunch so, of other people. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. So now this is going to be our AI podcast in which we talk about the movie AI over and over. No, we are not. We are not talking about that movie. (laughs) You don't like? I haven't seen it since the theater. I don't. (laughs) Is it? I remember being disappointed walking out, but uh, it's actually one of the movies I have not seen yet. It is on my list. I will catch up. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness! That seems like you could write a billion pages about it. So you could. So it would be when you see it, we'll be looking out for your uh, bright wall, dark room. That is that is my corner house. It, it is androids and it is hitmen. <laughs> so I do have one more question before we let oh. you go, mm-hmm. and it's a it's just more of a fun question. Give us your top three scenes from all the movies. Just scenes from all the alien movies. Yeah, mm, this is going to piss a lot of people off probably, but the autopsy of Newt. Okay, um, mm. I love that scene i really really love it and it's purely because of of both charles dance and sigourney weavers charles Um, dance is great he's fantastic in that movie i always like i'm always rooting for him to make it out alive and then i'm always really (laughs) bummed out and then i want to just turn the movie off after he's gone it's my it's Um, my second favorite of the alien franchise so it's so good it's so good um yeah that one's my stealth favorite I, i feel like i like almost all of them equally except resurrection and prometheus i really like the scene i I mean i like all of alien covenant but there's there's a scene where the alien attacks a woman and then it's sort of lit like a goya painting where Mm -hmm. like the alien sort of crouched over her body and like there's a lot of really deep shadows and then it's just the the stark white of of the neomorph i really like that one um and then I also love the scene in the first movie where everyone's just sort of sitting around in the kitchen waiting for news about Kane and then about the the state of the ship's repairs. And then um, Brett just keeps repeating right after everything that Parker says. That's also a great piece of just like inter-character work where someone is literally saying the same thing over and over again. And you get a little bit more about who he is every time. I really like that. That's good. Those are great picks. 
great picks yeah well sarah thank you so much yes. for joining us and spending this much time i i i i really didn't mean to take this much time but you've been so delightful oh, so this was a thank delight. you for thank being you. Oh, good <laughs> good i'm feeling bad with all that so i'm glad you're here don't, you're enjoying it too don't feel bad we got to talk about movies it's great yes that's true <laughs> <laughs> well like i said you can uh oh, remind me what's your uh what's your twitter handle again sarah my, my twitter handle is dodgy boffin d-o-d-g-y-b-o-f-f-i-n all one word don't judge me for that i made it when i was in like study abroad over in the uk (laughs) since the very first time i hit follow on you which is before i think you and i ever talked Mm -hmm. i've wondered what does that mean okay that mean (laughs) so so uk slang um okay it's it's a britishism uh dodgy means kind of sketchy like Mm. she's a wee bit dodgy or whatever Um, okay and then a boffin is someone who knows a lot about a really obscure topic (laughs) So that's, that's the part great. I didn't know. I knew dodgy, yeah. but yeah. Boffin's, Boffin's a good word. Um, I yeah. think it's usually reserved for like scientists or something. I ah. think it came about shortly after the Second World War was when that started entering the vernacular. But dodgy oh. Boffin. I, I found, wonderful. yeah, I found the phrase in like a, a news article somewhere and was like, I'm stealing this. Yeah, that's <laughs> And now awesome. it's my whole brand. So. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. Yes. Yeah, so please make sure that you follow Sarah at Dodgy Boffin and definitely check out Becoming Alien. Like I said, it's it's available now and uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Sarah, once again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. And that's, that's, that's it. So uh, come back next week where we're going to be looking at Something I never look at the schedule, but uh, <laughs> it's gonna be gross point blank. That's Neither one of us do. About here. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna be talking about gross point blank again next week, some part of it anyway. Yeah. So we will talk to you again next week. And remember, this podcast is us breathing. Thank you for listening to So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank. If you like what you've heard, go on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. If you don't like what you heard, man, I'm sorry. We're, we're trying our best here. We're just, we're just two guys, and we've got families and day jobs and the crushing existential dread of being alive during these times. And We're sorry we let you down. Our podcast theme was created by Jans. You can find his music and other projects at jansofficial.com. That's Y-O-N-S official.com. Our podcast outro music was created by Jeff Hansen. Our podcast artwork was created by Jeff Wyrick. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pod, and that's gross with an E, and on Twitter and Instagram at pod as well. You can find Blake at Lost in Osmosis on Twitter, and you can find me, Joe, at J-A-George-I-I. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week on So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank. Hey, hey, bing, 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 bang. Popcorn. Yeah, whatever. <laughs>